who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You're listening to the final episode, episode 14 of Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 24, Dunsany Roads Orbital, 2352, April 18. At about 1830, I slaved my tablet to the console and headed up to the mess deck. Pip was waiting for me with a big grin on his face. It didn't seem possible that he could be so pleased over the digital side sent him, so I loaded up a plate with cookies, spicy beefalo, and rice. There were some green beans, too, and I added a big pile of them. My body must have been telling me it needed the vitamins or something. I thought Pip was going to turn himself inside out before I made it over to him. So what's got you all in the tizzy, I asked. You all that excited about the batik? I brought you some samples. No, he said, those are good, but you will not believe this. How do you know, I asked with a chuckle. You haven't told me yet. Last night I was in my rack reading. After cleanup. Sarah shows up and settles into her bunk with her shawl work. He started in. I could tell this was going to be a long story, so I ate slowly. She's getting darn good, he said. But anyway, she's sitting there and crocheting her little fingers off. I asked her about the booth and how well she did and so forth. She said she had a great time but sold all her stuff and was looking forward to Betris when she'd have more things to sell. Sounds like a new convert to the trading lifestyle, I told him. She's still not quite in the same room with us sometimes, Pip said, but everybody is really good with her and we just wait for her. She's got more grit than me, I'll tell you that. I just continued eating. He was having too much fun with this and I knew he'd tell me what had him so excited, eventually. So anyway, I asked her if she was looking forward to selling her shawls or just to selling. She giggled and said she had so much fun, she just wished she could sell stuff. I asked her, doesn't it bother you being in the crowd all day? And she said no, because she was behind the table and it was like she was in the galley, sort of, and the people were coming to her and asking her, and she was in charge. I began to have second thoughts about whether he actually would get to the point of this story, but I didn't have anything much else to do, so I didn't interrupt. So I knew he had this pile of stones in the locker. I also knew that neither of us was going to get up there to sell them, so I asked if she wanted to sell them for us. I offered her booth commission on it. I didn't figure it would amount to much, and I was pretty sure you wouldn't mind. He stopped there and looked at me like it had been a question. I was a little slow on picking up the pause, but said, No, not at all. I was wondering how we were going to deal with them myself this afternoon. No, no. Do you mind that I offered her the commission? Ten percent. I shook my head. Of course not. How much did she wind up with in the commission? Fifty creds? Try 400. 
I don't think I could have been more surprised if he'd hit me with the omelet pan. I blinked slowly in confusion. She made 400 credits in commission in one day? He nodded with that big old grin on his face, and I knew he was telling me the truth, but I was trying to process it. But at 10%, she had to have sold, and I lowered my voice to keep from screaming, 4,000 creds in a day? Less than a day, because I was up there with Brill around 1,500, and she wasn't there then. Pip was chortling madly. Yup. Okay, you got my attention, I told him. Back up, give me some details. Okay, well, you know how we thought there were about 250 or maybe 300 of them left? It was more like 400. The smaller ones kept falling to the bottom. In the end, she sold just over 400 of them in about six stands. God's pip, that's about one a tick for six stands? He was just chortling and nodding. The math fell into place then, too, and I practically yelled, She got ten creds each? I have no idea. I gave her the stones and the leather stock last night and showed her how we were letting people buy the stones and then hack off a piece of thong from the spool. Apparently, she stayed up late and put a thong on every stone. Had some nice knotwork to keep them together, too. I saw them before she headed up to the flea with Roan and the others. They looked good. But ten creds apiece? You were getting five at the most. When Ron brought the pallet back, I asked her what was going on. Apparently, our Miss Krug is some kind of sales genius. She bundled them into groups of 50 and stashed them in our cargo duffel. She'd bring out a bundle and stand out near the edge of the booth and hawk them to the people walking by. The old get-em-while-they're-hot-good-luck stones, fresh from the mines at Marguerite, 30 creds each, four for a hundred, blessed by a St. Cloud shaman, the whole bit. Wait, she was hawking them for 30 creds each? Don't look at me. She asked me what to sell them for, and I just said whatever you can get. Roan was killing herself laughing. Where is she now? I asked. She came in early and got some dinner, but said she needed to get back to her shawl, so I suspect you'll find her in her bunk. The rate they're going through yarn, I'll bet they'll run out before we hit transition. Well, if you see Sean or Tabitha, you might tell them there's a lot of really nice cotton yarn up in the flea, but I bet they could shift to lace work, and the mass on some of that cotton would be really low for the length. Good idea, I'll tell him, he said. I sat there for a tick in stunned belief. So how much did we make? Well, we got 250 for the yarn we sold to the co-ed crochet team, and 3625 for the stones after commission. I laughed. Well, that was money well spent. We'd have been lucky to make two kilocreds, and it would have taken us three days. That's what I thought, too, Pip told me. So we're clear on mass, I asked. Yep, Pip said. We've got a balance on our partnership of something over five kilocreds again, I asked. Yep, he said, starting to chortle some more. Something close to it. You know this is insane, I asked him. And you being dragged out of jump by Alicia Alvarez isn't. He laughed some more. She didn't drag me. I went willingly. You're going to go talk to the petite guy, Chuck? I asked. Yeah, I didn't get a good sense of what that was on the digital, but what I saw was interesting. I brought you some samples. Brill liked it, too. Okay, sounds good. You want to go with me? I'll wait till you wake up. I want to go in the afternoon. Better deals in the afternoon, we said together and laughed. It suddenly dawned on me that this was the first time Pip and I were not on opposite portside watches since I'd been aboard. Obviously, it occurred to Pip first. Well, that could be interesting. I'll see if Bev wants to go. She's on night watch, too. He went back to start evening cleanup while I finished the last of the spiced beefalo and rice. I'd eaten most of it without noticing. Pip's news was just so startling. I checked the tablet just to make sure I hadn't missed any alarms from environmental, but I'd only been gone about a quarter of a stand. It just seemed longer. 
A small icon was flashing in the corner, letting me know I had a message. It wasn't the standard intra-ship message, but an incoming one from the station net. I looked at it for perhaps a full tick before I opened it. It said, It's beautiful. Damn, you're good. A.A. It was another tick or two before I could close the message and take care of my dishes. One thing bothered me about Sarah's little performance. I stopped at my locker for a tick and pulled the two stones I'd gotten from the pile and stuck them in my pocket before I headed over to deck berthing. Pip was right, and I found her crocheting in her bunk. Hi, Sarah, I said, from outside the quad. She looked up and smiled. Hey there. Everybody on the ship is talking about you. I didn't know you were a celebrity. I chuckled. Well, I didn't used to be. Things just got out of hand, I said, as I stepped into the quad and leaned against Pip's bunk. I wanted to thank you for selling those stones today. Oh, she grinned. You're welcome. I had so much fun. People were so nice, and I even had some patter that seemed to help. Patter? That's the word? Yes, I chuckled. That's the word. You learn fast. Thanks, she beamed. She seemed much younger now than when we first met at the shuttle docks. Not physically, she still carried age, but it was almost painted on. I wondered how old she really was, but I was more than a little afraid to ask. Can I ask you something about your patter, Sarah? I asked gently. Sure, she said. Ron told Pip that you were saying the stones were blessed by a St. Cloud shaman. Yes, she said, looking down. I did. I fibbed a little bit about how rare they were, but Ron seemed to think it was okay. I see. And you didn't think telling people that the stones were blessed was a fib? She shrugged a little shrug and went back to her crochet work. Maybe a little. Only a little, I pressed. She worked the yarn for Tick before she asked, Did you know that the shaman is often a hereditary position? I'd heard that it is in some cultures, yes, but how do they do it on the south coast, I asked her. The post is almost always passed from father to son. The son inherits the gift from the father, you see. Sometimes you find a shaman when somebody's been sick, really sick. Then they come back from being sick, and they've been given the shaman's gift, but mostly it's inherited. Her fingers never stopped moving, and her eyes never looked up. I see. And did the shaman in your village have a son? I asked gently. She shook her head. No. My mother died having me, she said softly. And you blessed the stones, I said. Yes, she said in a quiet voice, I blessed the stones. I pulled the two from my pocket and held them up by the thongs. Would you bless mine? Why do you want me to bless them, she asked, looking up for the first time. You're not a follower. I shrugged. A lot of people thought it was worth it today. Who am I to argue? But I'm not really a shaman, she said bitterly. I'm not a boy. Maybe so, I said. But you're not on the south coast anymore. You're on a ship with the spirit of a great woman. The captain of this ship is a great woman. Maybe this ship needs a great woman to be her shaman, I said, continuing to hold the stones out to her. You don't believe that, she said flatly. You're making fun of me. I'm not making fun of you. I'm in no place to be making fun of anybody, and to be a shaman, maybe you only need somebody to believe in you. I held the stones higher and offered them to her again. It doesn't matter to me what you believe in. The important thing is, I believe in you. She swallowed hard and looked at the stones like they might burn her if she took them. Neither of us moved for a long time. Finally, she reached out and took the stones from me. She looked at me once more and then closed her eyes, and I could see her lips moving ever so slightly as if she were reciting something to herself. She kissed each stone and handed them back to me. Thank you, Sarah, I said. Thank you, Ishmael, she replied. And with a little smile and a deep breath, 
She went back to her crochet work. I stepped out of the quad and almost bumped into Pip, who had been standing just out of sight. Cleanup done already? I asked him. Yeah, you know what Portside Mess is like. He had that look on his face that told me he'd been there for a while. Well, I need to get back to environmental, I told him. You want to walk as far as the gym? He followed me out of the birthing and then grabbed my arm. What in the name of Venus's hairy palms was that all about? He asked softly. What? I asked innocently. That mumbo-jumbo with the stones. Uh, she's come a long way, but she's still healing, I told him. No kidding, he said. So why are you encouraging her? What? Why am I encouraging her to heal? No, idiot. Why are you encouraging her in her delusion? What delusion, I asked. All this shaman stuff. First the Welkies, now the stones. Well, the Welkies are real. I have one in my pocket, and she did bless the stones. I looked at him with a grin. But none of this is any more magical than I am, Pip said earnestly. What makes you think you're not magical, I asked. That stopped him for a tick. Are you going soft in the head on me, Ish? He asked with genuine concern. Well, maybe, but I remember the story you told me about when you came aboard. Yeah, he said, so what? They traded me for Murdoch. Once you came aboard, things began to turn around for you. Well, that's true, he said, but I don't see what this has to do with Sarah being a shaman and all this magic crap. Why do you think things started changing when you got here? I persisted. I don't know. I got a better attitude, maybe. People were nicer here. Or maybe they just believed in you, I told him quietly. I noticed I still had the stones in my hand and gave him the white one. Here, I said. Lucky stone. Blessed by a St. Cloud shaman. Wear it in good health. I left him standing there gaping at me as I turned and headed back to environmental. As I walked, I tied the green one around my neck and let it slide down inside my ship suit. You never know. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com r-e-a-l-m now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash realm chapter 25 Dunsany Rhodes Orbital 2352 April 19 my tablet bit me awake just after 1200 
Overnight watch had been low-key. Francis ribbed me good-naturedly about Al, but he seemed a bit groggy and I wondered if he'd been out too late himself. I rolled out and grabbed a quick shower before I zipped into a ship suit. Sarah was on duty in the galley. She looked a little less pinched, I thought, but maybe that was just projection on my part. She and Cookie smiled and waved, but they were still arguing about pastry dough and I didn't interrupt. Lunch was a very nice fish and pasta dish. I wasn't sure if it was the last of the cobia fillets or the muda from St. Cloud. Whatever else it might have been, it was delicious. Pip came in dressed in civvies already as I was settling down. You been out this morning? I asked him. He grabbed a coffee and sat. Yeah, I went up and scoped out the yarns. I saw Sean and Tabitha up there, so I suspect they'll come back with more crochet materials. At this point, they need more hooks, too. They're doing so well, I'm sure there are others who will start up with them. Sean should charge for lessons. <laughs> I laughed, or get royalties on the pieces. We sat there for a couple of ticks, and I laid into the fish and pasta. I was hungrier than I thought. Pip wasn't very talkative. I usually relied on him to carry the conversation. You okay? I asked him. Yeah, he said, I'm okay. I looked at him and realized he was wearing the white stone under his shirt. Nice stone, I commented. Thanks, he said, looking down at it. It was a gift from a friend. It's a lucky stone, blessed by a St. Cloud shaman. I grinned at him, and he grinned back. You gonna finish eating one of these days so we can go shopping? he asked. Leaving the ship with Pip felt odd. The last time we'd been off the ship together was when he'd brought me aboard seven months before. My brain kept sliding sideways, sorta, whenever I'd see him walking beside me. I was so used to walking with one or more of the women. We cruised up to the flea market and headed right for the batik booth. Ah, Ishmael, Chuck said as I came up to the booth. He surprised me. You have a good memory. You must see hundreds of people a day, I exclaimed. True, but none of them wanted to buy batik in bulk and take it off station, he said with a grin. He turned to Pip and said, You must be Carstairs. He held out his hand to shake. Well, I don't have to be, he said, but I am. He shook the offered hand and said, Call me Pip. I just wandered around looking over the goods while Pip tickered with Chuck. He bought about 20 kilos of fabric and Chuck bundled it into two 10-kilo packages for us to carry. Pip surprised me by pulling a folded duffel out of his hip pocket and sliding both packages into it. We can trade off carrying, he told me with a grin. 20 kilos is going to get heavy fast, I told him. Are you planning on shopping some more, he asked me. Well, I thought that since we'd here, we might as well look around, see if there's anything else that strikes our fancy. Chuck overheard us and said, You can leave the duffel here if you like. Just slide it under the table over there and pick it up before closing. I thanked him while Pip stowed the bag. As we left the booth, he looked at me curiously. Is there something you're looking for? He asked me. Yeah, trade goods for Betris. Something different, low mass, high value. He slugged me in the shoulder and laughed. No, I mean, is there something in particular? I shrugged. Booths open and close every day. There may be something here that I like as much as the batik. We have mass to spare yet, don't we? Yeah, at least another 20 kilos. When you make spec three, we're going to be up to our armpits and mass allotment. We'll have to shop with a grav pallet, I joked. That's a good idea. He was serious. If we either shop on days when the co-op isn't setting up, like today, or we plan to take our stuff over to the booth, then they can take it back to the ship. Well, that also assumes we keep buying single large lots, I said. With more mass allotment, we can diversify a bit. True, he said. This batik is great, though. It's a nice find. We were just sauntering through the aisles. Thanks, I said. It's funny because I spotted it just after I complained that everything looked the same to Brill. Then we came around the corner and there was all this brightly colored fabric. After you've been to about three of these, you begin to see the stuff that's on all of them. What's amazed me is that you picked out Drews Martin's belts. That was a real find. Well, you found the stones. I think we're even there. I wish we had another five kilos of those. He laughed. I think we've saturated the market here. Well, maybe, but we're leaving for Betris tomorrow. 
I pulled out my tablet then and checked ship status. Mar Duh was now listed as en route bink under the status. I slipped the tablet back into my pocket and turned my head to put my nose near my collar so I could smell her scent again. I gave a small cry. Bip said, yeah, I understand. It's a small galaxy, though. You'll see her again. He patted me on the shoulder in sympathy. Thanks, Pip, I said, but I was looking at that. He turned his head to where I was looking and gave a small cry of his own. Those are spectacular. We hurried over to the booth and started talking to a little tiny woman with almond-shaped eyes who introduced herself as Ping Fa Hua. She had the most amazing collection of prints I've ever seen. I recognized the style from some of those I'd seen at the gallery at the University of Nares. A very stylized form. Landscapes, birds, seascapes, even some flowers. Did you make these all yourself? I asked her. Oh no, I'm only selling them for our co-op, she said. Pip looked at me and started laughing. Ping looked confused until I said, We're in a co-op too. We know what that's like. Can you tell me about these prints? Pip asked. She launched into a detailed sales pitch then, and I left that part of it to Pip. I heard enough to learn that the prints were made in a kind of native parchment made from the local linen and cotton. The images themselves were printed using a kind of silkscreen reproduction and were limited edition. She pointed out the small numbers in the bottom corners of each print next to the artist's signature. Most of the prints were in runs of a hundred or less because, she said, the reproduction process eventually degraded the screens. I don't know if it was true or not, but it sounded good. It really didn't matter. The artwork was stunning. The prices were, likewise, stunning, and I began to think that our shaman-blessed stones were less a miracle of salesmanship than of local economy. Still, Pip bought ten prints for Kilocred, and Ping slipped them into a large, flat envelope of heavy parchment. The whole thing weighed less than a kilo. As we walked back to pick up the duffel bag of batik fabric, Pip commented, Of course, if we keep buying things like this, our mass allotments will be moot. I laughed. It was a struggle, but we did get it all back to the lowest in time for dinner. At dinner, we ran into a bunch of people, including Brill, Beverly, Diane, Arvid, Mitch, Tabitha, and Sean. seemed like half the crew was aboard and getting ready to go out. There was a feeling I'd never had as a day worker in the galley. I don't think Pip caught it, but the sense of the flow of time across the watches was almost tangible. Diane was actually on watch and would be stuck on the ship overnight. Francis had already gone out. I'd be relieving Diane in just under 12 stands. The feeling was definitely last chance, and spirits were running high. As we broke up from dinner, the general consensus was to gather at the lock at 2000 and all had to jump together. Even Pip was going to go. As we broke up, Brill said, Well, you guys be careful, okay? What do you mean? I asked her. You'll be there to keep an eye on us, won't you? She shook her head. I'm bushed. I'm going to stay aboard tonight, I think. Behind her, Diane was shaking her head in a vigorous no and making pulling motions with her hands. It was all I could do not to laugh. Come on, B, I pleaded. Just come and have a drink and a dance, maybe. I'll have a few laughs and come back early. Pip and I both have morning duty. Diane started nodding yes, just as vigorously. Brill dithered a little, but eventually relented. Before she headed out to get changed, I asked, Oh, and could you do me a favor? What's that, she asked. I'm already doing you one just by going. But she smiled when she said it. You remember that outfit you wore up to Chez Henri? The red jacket with the tab collars, black slacks? Of course, I don't have that many clothes. Wear that. Isn't that kind of dressy for a few drinks at Jump? She asked suspiciously. I shook my head. No, I don't think so. Do you think so, Diane? Diane said, no, I don't think so. I think it's perfect. Brill laughed at the obviousness of our behavior and waved as she set off to get changed. At 2000, she showed up in the red jacket, though, and she looked like a Valkyrie to me. We all checked out at once, and it must have driven Dave Bendauer crazy. 
He was trying to keep up with all the coming and going with about twelve of us at once. Brill, Bev, and I stepped out of the lock and waited for the rest to get checked out. Bev just shook her head and laughed. I don't remember the last time this many of us went out at once. Brill shook her head. You know what it is, she said to Bev over my head. What? asked Bev. Him. She jerked a thumb in my direction. They want to see what he does next. I held up my hands and said, Whoa, I got the duty in the morning. I'm just going for a couple of drinks and then I'm coming home and going to bed. Brill did one of her, mm-hmm, sounds. Beverly just grinned. I looked up at Brill and realized she didn't have a necklace on. That throat and upper chest were spectacular on their own, but I thought I could use something to focus attention, so I reached back and untied the leather thong and stripped off my green stone. Come down here, I told her. Bev and I were both astonished when she did just that, leaning down so I could tie the thong around her neck. It took me a couple of tries, but I finally got it where I thought it would do the most good. Is this one of the stones you got on Marguerite? she asked, reaching up to touch it with her fingertip. Yep, I said. That was about all I could say, because it was stunning. The rawness of the leather and the simplicity of the green stone centered just below her collarbone were like a target. The colors of the green stone and the red jacket played off each other, and each looked just that little bit richer for being together. It's still warm, she said. You've been wearing it all day? Yeah, I said. Bev winked at me. Finally, everybody was out, and we headed for the lift. Bev and I took up station on either side of Brill, Bev in her leathers looking like she'd eat the next three men alive and they'd love every bite, Brill in that red jacket with a target on her chest, me in my pink shirt and olive jacket. We formed up a kind of parade formation with some of the crew ahead and some behind. I spotted Rebecca Salzman up ahead walking with Mitch Fitzroy. I never appreciated Rebecca's ability to really slink. The genetic legacy of Heavy G didn't seem to bother it one bit, and I appreciated it in detail for several moments. I looked over my shoulder and saw that Tabitha had her own little escort flotilla bringing up the rear with Sean on one side and Arvid on the other. All three of them looked like they were locked and loaded. Whoever that trio tangled with tonight was in for a hell of a dance. I started counting heads and realized we had almost half the crew in that one group. I laughed softly. Brill said, what? Without looking down. Talk about your extended family, I said. Bev chimed in with, I was thinking dysfunctional myself. I think every one of us is crazed. Dysfunctional? No. Crazed? Definitely. Every last one of us, I added. We managed to get everybody in the big lift and went down in one big group. When the doors opened to the heat and the moisture in the O2 deck, we streamed off the lift in mass. The corridors weren't terribly crowded at that relatively early stand, but the people who were there just parted in front of the group and we sailed through. When we got the jump, the group broke into table-sized bunches, some people choosing to pull a few tables together, others just settling in threes and fours. The waitresses were kept hopping for a few ticks while everybody got drinks and the evening began to ramp up. Pip sat with Bev Brill and I at a foretop, and I looked around to see if I could see anybody familiar. The Headley's getting underway in a couple of stands, Bev said. Al's not here. Yeah, I know, I told her. I looked it up earlier. The Sigler left too, so I'm safe from that guy. I winked at her. I'm just going to feel for the room. A feel for the room? Pip laughed. You planning on moving in? No, I chuckled. I just want to see how the people are grouping up. Brill didn't look comfortable, and I asked her, Are you okay? She shrugged. I don't do well in these last night outings. Everybody seems so desperate. She laughed self-consciously. I looked at Bev, who gave a little shrug. I looked back to Brill and said, Do something for me? You mean something else, she asked, laughing. I'm already out. I'm wearing the clothes you asked. I'm wearing your stone. What more do you want? Close your eyes. I'm going to whisper a word in your ear. Hold it in your mind and then finish your drink before you open your eyes. 
She looked at me like I was crazy, but she closed her eyes and I leaned into her ear, savoring the scent of her under the ship's shampoo and soap, and I whispered. She giggled, but she finished her drink before opening her eyes. Now what's that supposed to do? she asked. Maybe nothing, but you gotta believe, I said, and I grinned. Pip looked at me funny, but he didn't say anything. Bev looked at me with a look that asked, What the hell are you up to? But I just shrugged and waited. The waitress came back then to put a drink in front of Brill. But I didn't order, she started to say. The waitress said, From the gentleman at the bar over there, and she pointed. We all looked and saw a nice-looking guy in a leather jacket push up a raised glass and a silent toast. Bev ducked her head a little bit when she saw him and started to giggle. The guy in the jacket, she asked, from behind a hand. The waitress nodded. Yep, that's him, she said, before going on to deliver to the next table. Brill leaned into Beverly then and said, You know him? Oh, yeah, she said. You should go over and thank him for the drink. Really? Brill said and looked again. He was still smiling at her. Oh, yeah, Bev said again. Brill looked puzzled but shrugged. If you're setting me up, Beverly Arath, I will make you suffer in ways you cannot possibly fathom, she said threateningly. You already do, hon. Bev assured her with a smile so warm that three of the ice cubes in my drink melted. And I should go thank him for the drink, she asked again. Bev nodded very solemnly. You'll thank me in the morning. The way she said it made even Pip blush. Brill looked at me and I just said, remember the word. She made up her mind then and stood. I was so proud of her because she really stood, not the usual Brill stoop so she didn't bang her head, but straight and tall and proud like that day when we sailed into Chez Henri. She picked up her drink and sashayed over to where he waited. As she approached, he slid off the stool and dropped almost to the level of the bar, but held a stool for her before getting back on his own. I looked at Bev and asked, you sent her off to thank a midget? <laughs> He's not that short, she said. The angle makes it look worse. He's about a meter and a quarter tall, a little more maybe. But you know how sensitive she is about her height, I said. Oh, I don't think height is going to be an issue tonight, she said softly, with a particular emphasis on the word height. Pip was leaning in on the conversation, too. Why not, he asked. Bev shrugged. What he lacks in height, he more than makes up for in length and width, she said with an evil grin. I thought Pip was going to swallow his tongue at that, but she added, and he can lick his own eyebrows. I was very glad I didn't have a mouthful of drink. I turned to Bev and said, you are evil. Thanks, she said smugly. You guys do this all the time, don't you? Pip asked. Bev and I looked at each other and shrugged. We try, I said, as much as we can. I suspect things will be pretty lively on Betris, too, don't you? Bev asked me. Yes, yes, I think you're right, I answered. Pip just shook his head and laughed. Someday I'm going to be able to tell my grandkids I knew you. Yeah, right. With your luck, you'll be in the cell next to us, I told him. I ordered another round when the waitress came by, and the room was already starting to warm up a bit as more people arrived. About a half a stand later, Brill came back to our table with an odd, dazed look on her face and the guy in tow. Hey, guys, this is Steve from the Calhoun. Steve, I think you know Beverly. That's Pip, and this is Ishmael. Hi, Steve, Bev said. I thought you were getting off the old hound. He shook his head. Nah, you know how it is. Once you get a bunk broke in, it's hard to change. Bev raised her glass to that. Brill broke in with, um, I'm going to go see Steve's, Bev interrupted with, etchings? Yes, etchings, exactly. We'll leave a light on for you, Bev said. Brill looked at Bev with the oddest look I think I've ever seen on anybody's face and then turned to me. There was a question in the look, but I smiled and winked. Remember the word, I told her. When they'd gone, Pip said, sweet python of Pythias, those were tight pants he had on.
Bev nodded, slurped an ice cube out of her drink and started crunching it. Steve knows how to get a girl's attention, no question about it. I turned to Pip and said, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little inadequate right now. He'd make a horse feel inadequate, Pip said with not a little awe in his voice. He won't hurt her, will he? Bev laughed, only if she wants him to. About that time, a strawberry blonde in a tight white cashmere sweater, black capris, and knee-high boots laced all the way up, plunked down in Pip's lap, and looped an arm around his neck. With a nod to me and a wink at Bev, she turned to Pip and held out her hand. Hi, my name is Jeanette, and my friend over there, that's Katie, she said, nodding back to a brunette in a low-cut blouse sitting in a booth. Pip took her hand and said, Hi, I'm Philip, but everybody calls me Pip. She didn't let go of her hand, but leaned in a little closer. I wonder, Pip, if uh, you'd settle a bet for us. Sure, Pip said, if I can. It's not often one sees Pip disconcerted, but the assets wrapped in cashmere so close to his face were warping his usual glib tongue. What's the bet, I asked. Well, she said, looking into Pip's eyes, do you know that little sigh that a really satisfied woman makes? Pip said, yeah. Well, see, she said, Katie bet me ten creds that you probably did, but I bet you probably didn't. Sounds like she owes you ten creds, I said, playing straight man. Well, she's not going to pay ten creds just on your say-so, she said with a delightful little pout, still staring into Pip's eyes. I don't suppose you'd come with us for a couple of stands and prove it. Why, yes, I'd be happy to, Pip said. What does she get if she wins? Jeanette smiled. She gets to go second. Bev said, that sounds like a fair bet to me. Jeanette stood up, and as they started off, I called after her. He's got duty at 0430. She checked her chrono and with a saucy wink said, I should be just about right. Bev and I watched them go, one on either side. He seemed a bit dazed. What was that? I asked. Katie and Jeanette? Bev asked back. Bunkmates on the Alistair. They're getting underway mid-morning tomorrow. Bunkmates? Yeah, they have a different culture on the Alistair, she said. I dare say. They'll give him a good ride and then bring him home. They're not cruel, usually. You realize he's going to be insufferable for a month, I asked. Probably two, Bev said. I hope he clipped his fingernails, I observed. Tell me, I said to her, is the Lois the only ship like us? You mean where we don't screw with crew, she asked. Yeah, I said. She shook her head. No, actually, most ships are like that. Too professional or too much like family. Seems harsh. It's not all that pleasant on ships like the Audrey and the Alistair, she said. Oh, like being locked in a ship for 40-odd days with somebody you just broke up with, I asked. Or like being locked on a ship for 40-odd days with a pair of feuding lovers, she countered. Ouch, I said. We grinned at each other. In spite of that, do you wish we were on the Alistair, I asked her. She considered for a bit while she chewed on another ice cube. No, she said finally, if we were, we wouldn't have what we got, and I'm liking that a lot. Two more of my ice cubes just melted, I told her. Please, don't talk about melting, she said. Sorry. She nodded. So what are you going to do now, she asked. I looked around the bar for a tick before saying, I think my work is done here. I'm just going to drink up and head back to the ship. I'll get duty in the morning. Me too. Mind if I join you? We swigged down the drinks, and I threw a couple of cred chits on the table. Let's go. We didn't need to talk much as we walked back toward the lift. We were communicating just fine. I pressed the call button, and she asked me, What was the word? 
Valkyrie, I told her. The lift came and we rode it up in silence. When we got to the Lois's lock, she keyed the lock and said, Good word. Thanks, I told her. I nodded. You won't hurt her, I asked quietly, while we waited for the lock to cycle. She'll thank me in the morning. Still, I said. Yeah, she agreed, with a sad little sigh. The lock cycled open, and we got on with being spacers. Thanks for listening to Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from the Banks of Newfoundland, an Irish jig recorded in September of 1928 by Peter James Conlon and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.com/golden. <laughs>